Hello, and welcome to The Affairs Code. My name is Code Vance, your host as always. Our email is theaffairscode at gmail.com. Our website, theaffairscode.blogspot.com for uh, all links and everything like that, show notes, etc., etc. Uh, so, coming at you today uh, with the last podcast that we're going to do before we take a summer hiatus. Uh, and similarly to what we did last week uh, with the music review with Isaac, uh, we're going to be counting down the first half of 2016 in terms of uh, movies, uh, but we're going to be abbreviating it a bit. Uh, but before I explain uh, how that, that's going to work, who do I have on the other end of the line with me to uh, talk about these uh, films? It's uh, Eddie, Edward Rue. Um, you know, let, not, not, not as much of a hipster as Isaac, but... Uh, Slightly, slightly more of a film buff, I think. So, you know, I answered the call. Okay, excellent. So, uh, what we're going to be doing, uh, kind of similarly to, to what we did at the end of 2015, uh, is we're going to be counting down our, our listed movies, but we're only going to be doing five apiece, um, along with honorable mention, uh, a disappointment, and also just uh, we're going to talk about anything that we haven't seen but we want to see. Um, and then maybe at the end we can kind of talk about what we're anticipating in the rest of the year. Um, so I guess, you know, just because, uh, you know, every year a lot of movies come out, you can't always see everything you want to see. So let's start off with saying, is there anything that's come out in the first half of 2016, Edward, that you would like to see or you've heard is good but you haven't seen, just so we can kind of caveat it out of our lists? Uh Sure. So, um, actually, okay, well, there, there's two that are, are very, very clearly fit that bill. Um, I don't know that either of these are like, if I'd seen them, they would necessarily have made this list, but I did hear good things. So, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, never got a chance to get out and see that one. And uh, slightly more indie, uh, something called Midnight Special. Um, it was, I don't know. I'll be frank, Andrew O'Hare wrote a fairly positive review about it. It's uh, like about this kid who him and his father figure are like on the run from the government. He has some nebulous powers and there's all kinds of conspiracies and stuff. And apparently it's pretty good. Uh, and there, I will add a third one. I don't know if it like technically came out because it literally just came out like two days ago. But I have seen or I have heard good things about The Conjuring 2. And would definitely definitely plan to go see that when I get the chance. Okay, yeah, those are some good picks. Um, I haven't seen either The Conjuring two, and I was I think we saw the the original Conjuring together, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, I was I recall both of us being kind of lukewarm on it. I I, I don't, but um, apparently the second one, people were saying it's actually better than the first one. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, just to say, like I've heard like some interesting stuff. People talking about. The, because it is based on the, the these actual people like Ed and Lorraine Warren, uh, and apparently the second one like introduces a couple more wrinkles uh, as to like you know is this all real or like is it an elaborate hoax? So like that kind of level of like meta self awareness I I think would would will be interesting. But like I said, I haven't seen the film, so I can't comment at too much length. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I haven't seen Midnight Special, although I've, I've heard some of the similar things that you have. I have, however, seen Ten Cloverfield Lane, and yeah, it's it's a good movie. It's uh, it's kind of an interesting movie because most of it is just sort of a three character uh, film. Um, a really good performance from John Goodman uh, in there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I won't kind of say too much because it, a lot of it rests on certain twists in the story that you kind of have to see. Um, I guess. 
to me, it was kind of an interesting, dramatic experiment in setting most of the action of a film in one setting. It kind of reminded me in a weird way of that John Cusack movie, 1408, if you ever saw that, where he's just in a hotel room for all of the movie. It's based on a Stephen King but Anyway, um, so I mean, as just far as far as an experiment of kind of being almost like a one-act play um, of a movie, um, I thought it was interesting. I, it doesn't quite make my list because it felt more like an experiment, like not an experiment, but more like just a sort of exercise of filmmaking than it did a fully formed kind of uh, narrative at the end of the day. Um, so I have three on here. Uh, the first is Everybody Wants Some, uh, the new Richard Linklater movie. Uh, about uh, It's based on his uh, experiences uh, playing college baseball in the, in the 80s. Um, people are saying it kind of does for that whole time period what Days and Confused did for the 70s, so uh, if, if, that, if that's uh, to, led to be believed, uh, it would be worth checking out, but it hasn't uh, come to where I am. Uh, the second, which I suspect will, will feature on your on your list uh, maybe later on, is Green Room uh, with um, Patrick Stewart, uh, which we'll, we'll hear a little bit later about. And then the third is uh, Sing Street, which is the new movie by... Uh, uh, trying to remember his name, Joe Carnahan, I, I believe is his name, uh, the man who made Once uh, and also Begin Again. Um, this is another, um, you know, music-based kind of film, but the characters are a little bit younger, um, and it's sort of apparently based on his own childhood living in Dublin. Um, so if, uh, if, you know, if it lives up to the quality of Once, so even to Begin Again, which I thought was a, kind of an underrated movie, it was a little bit uh, trite, but, but I, I enjoyed it. Um, and I, I've seen the trailer and I've listened to some of the music from it and the, the use of kind of particularly 80s uh, pop in it is quite cool, um, but I haven't seen it, so, so it's not on my list. Okay, so um, I guess let's start with disappointment of the year. So what is your, your biggest, like, you, you came into a movie and uh, man, did it not to live up to what you expected? Zootopia. Uh, please elaborate. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, in these podcasts in general, I try to avoid, like, going off on a rant, but, like, God, Zootopia just bugs me so much. And maybe a lot of that is a function of some of the hype I heard around it. <sighs> like, I went into Zootopia with, you know, having heard from, like, everyone and their dog that, like, Oh, it's the, you know, it's this great... Is that a pun, character. by the way, everyone and their dog? Is that a pun, or is that unintentional? Uh, that was... I didn't necessarily mean that to be, and I don't think any of the characters in the movie are dogs. Anyway, whatever. That was not... That, that was not intentional. Um, but, yeah, so, um... It... I came into this movie with uh, the expectation that I, I was going to get this, you know, hilarious uh, animated movie. And I mean, I guess the jokes were all right. You know, it's not Pixar, but then what is other than Pixar? And, um, the, but the, you know, what I, what I was really sold on was the message. You know, people were saying, oh, it's got this great message about, like, prejudice and discrimination. And... It's got this, this, you know, elaborate world where, like, for people who don't know, it's, you know, this, this, like, uh, anthropomorphic society where, um, basically predators and prey have learned to live in harmony, but there are, you know, per, per, uh, certain tensions that, that persist between them and, 
you know, uh, each side is, is can, can be variously interpreted as standing in for various, you know, demographic groups, uh, if you will. And, um, it, you know, it ends up telling this kind of twisting tale where it's like at first it, it's, it seems like the the you know the, the 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 prey are the ones who are you know disadvantaged and not taken seriously and discriminated against but then it like flips halfway through and suddenly it's it's the predators that everyone is paranoid about and you know i mean look if 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 you want to you know take the the you, you you know way of saying it's a it's a kids movie what do you expect it's basically just saying you know oh discrimination is bad then like okay i guess so but it, but, you know, I have two, two things to say to that. Like one, like if you try to apply the sort of metaphors they're using in this film to any kind of real world situation or minority group, it just breaks down to the point of incoherence unless you are like someone who believes that like misandry or reverse racism are serious problems in our society. Um, and, you know, like, th the whole, like, sort of cop-out of saying, you know, oh, well, it's a movie that says discrimination is bad. I mean, you know, I feel like as a society, I think I think maybe, just maybe, we're ready to move to, like, the next level in the, in the discussion about discrimination. I mean, even Donald Trump, you know, in his, in his you know, flailing attempts to walk back his, his, his comments about Judge Curiel seems dimly aware that, like, discriminating against someone just because of their identity is a bad thing. So, like, I think, I think we've gotten that message. You know, like, if we really want to, like, start educating the youngsters to understand the complex world they live in, maybe we could talk a little bit about the, you know, broader histories and systems of power and privilege that you know shape discrimination and not just pretend that it's all about you know bad people with bad ideas who have to be corrected yeah so so what i'm getting as a headline here is zootopia not woke enough i i i, I will guess okay. That, that sounds about right. okay and yeah i mean i i that that's kind of meant somewhat in jest but i mean from what i read and from what you've told me i, I do think that it's sort of uh yeah, I, I feel like people are definitely kind of overrating the significance of the message, which, like, again, yeah, like, don't get me wrong, I mean, I'm not, you know, saying, disc saying discrimination is bad is, you know, the worst message a kid's movie could have. It's apparently better than the uh, Angry Birds movie, which apparently uh, ends up being a sort of uh, 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 Donald Trump piece, maybe. I, I haven't seen it, but Twitter tells me this. Um so, so anyway, yeah, Z Zootop I, I just found, like, a lot of the jokes in the Zootopia trailer seemed like kind of hack jokes to me. Like, it was like, it was like, you know, the DMV is so slow, the sloths are running the DMV. Isn't that funny, guys? And, like, eh. All it makes me think of is, like, the, the things on the Flintstones where they would have, like, the animal doing, you know, some appliance task and then just cut away and the, it's a living like you know i, I don't know i don't know you're not, you're, you're not wrong they do like they do there there are a couple of funny jokes in there but it, it, it a lot of it is is kind of like obvious on the nose humor also apparently this movie is prejudiced against italians so so that's <laughs> yes yes in a, in, a, in a movie centrally about uh centrally about you know how how discrimination is bad and everything there is one character who is like 
basically like a like a discount Marlon Brando, you know, third generation Xerox of the Godfather with all the, you know, Italian mafiosi stereotypes. Uh, and, and it, it, you know, interesting pop cultural connection. His daughter is basically Snooky, so, you know, th- br- 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 bridging those generations of, like, anti-Italian-American stereotypes. Well, there you go, so that's lovely. Okay, so my disappointment, which I guess, I mean, you could say I should have saw this coming, and in a way I did, but but I, it's Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Um, okay, so he, here's one thing I will say positive about this movie. I do think it had a vision to it. I do think the problem is its vision was, let's recreate terrible comics from the 90s. Um you know, as a feat of just going for it and making the the, you know, the decision to have this very kind of the idea of superheroes as kind of these Nietzschean god figures who, you know, fight above the, you know, the petty squabbles of man and, you know, must use their, you know, um, their godlike powers, you know, against each other to achieve some higher state of being. Like, that is potentially interesting, right? And the trailers actually, and for the, the first bit of the movie, there is this kind kind of interesting political angle to it about, like, what would the consequences in the real world of somebody like Superman be, particularly given the second half of Man of Steel, right? And a lot of people said, well, you know, Superman is causing all this wanton destruction. And they do actually kind of address that, or at least they try to. The problem is, is that by the second half of the movie, and this movie is way too long, it's, it's nearly three hours, and apparently there's a director's cut, which is even longer, um... Which, okay, but by the second half of the movie, it's basically just evolved into, like, here are all these, you know, art um, things from from 90s comic books, this kind of very grim and gritty kind of thing, and then, like, the plot twists are just so dumb, the fact that the, the coming together of Batman and Superman to fight Doomsday literally hinges on the fact that their mothers have the same first name, they throw yes. they throw in Wonder Woman and don't really use her for anything other than a Deus Ex Machina at the end. They have a, a, a scene because we had to shoehorn in the other Justice League characters. They literally have it as a series of computer file clips uh, to show you these characters instead of introducing them organically. Basically, bottom line, this is DC trying to recreate the Marvel Universe without any of the finesse, any of the um, attention to detail, any of the, the I will frankly say, heart uh, that comes behind those movies. I do think Zack Snyder is an interesting director. Like, I like some of his movies. I like 300. Controversially, I like Sucker Punch. I think Sucker Punch actually has something to say if you if you read it. Um this, I, I don't, I, I mean, I guess he was just going for, again, we create terrible 90s comics, but, like, nobody likes those for a reason, and I think that, you know, the, the attempt to, to try to draw on those, those visual um, things and those narrative tropes for, for this movie was just a really big mistake. I, I don't think this is a misfire because it was badly executed. I think it was actually relatively well executed, at least visually and in terms of what that kind of thing. Um, but it's just, it was so wrong-headed conceptually that I really don't know what the rest of this DC universe is going to look like. I will say, though, I am still looking forward to Suicide Squad, because uh, they're the kind of, like, grim darkness of the uh, material makes a bit more sense. But anyway, Batman Superman uh, frustrated me deeply, uh, and I had a pounding headache by the time I left the theater. Uh, so, So there you go.
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would, I might actually say the opposite. I mean, as you say, I, the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the germ of an idea of, you know, um, you know, the, the, the trying to, to paste together a like vaguely realistic, you know, how would we as humans react if, you know, Superman like accidentally, you know, smashed up a major city as, as collateral damage and, and then, you know, the whole like modern gods thing of him fighting, uh, fighting Batman is, is definitely interesting. I honestly think though that, that for me, it, it actually did stumble in execution. Um, because I mean, yeah, certainly the, the visuals are, are like, you know, it, it is a very well realized aesthetic, but the writing was just fucking awful. Um, like even, even like, okay. Like when, when they got to the like Martha thing, uh, that, that was when I was like ready to burst out laughing in the middle of the, the theater. And I just like knew there was nothing this movie could do to win me back. But even before that, there's just too much, like, I just like, I, I know it's kind of a, kind of a cliche and like film criticism, but like show don't tell you guys, they just have like you know, uh, Jesse Eisenberg as, as Lex Luthor, just like spout off too much and like explain how you're supposed to feel about everything that's going on and how grand and, 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 and Nietzschean and, 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 uh, you know, meaningful it all is like, you know, if he just like shut up and like, let us, you know, figure out for ourselves how important all of this is, it might've carried me a bit more like, Honestly, I think this could have been an okay movie if they just, like, told Jesse Eisenberg to shut up and, uh, you know, took the Martha bit out and burned that part of the script and deleted any part, any uh, remnant of it on any hard drive. Okay. And, and one other final thing I will notice is that the, the, the senator uh, who, who uh, is, you know, one of the, the key characters in the movie just had like, well, I'm going to tell you here, Superman. Here's the thing about you, what you're doing. And then the, the granny's peach tea. and the, Anyway, I stopped thinking about this. Okay. <laughs> Maybe Suicide Squad will be good. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah, here's over. Okay, so uh, now let's get into the list proper. So you're number five, Edward. Oh, are we doing honorable mentions? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, yes, yeah, sorry. What, my, my mistake. Your honorable mention, sir. So, actually, I, I'll be honest. I'm, like, pretty happy about where I put my thing, about what I chose to be on the list with, the, with this kind of, like, in, in the, the just falling slightly off the list at number six. But it's just like, I don't know, th this could have been on the list and could have replaced my number five. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not married to the, the order I've put these in. And, 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 and all that by way of exculpatorily explaining why this is my honorable mention and not on the list, it is Green Room. Um, because I thought it was a very interesting movie. For, for those who don't know, because this is on the slightly indier side of things that have uh, come out in the first half of 2016, is it's basically, it's uh, like a hardcore punk band from Washington, D.C. are on some kind of like tour on the West Coast, and it's going really, really poorly. They've like run out of money. They have to resort to like siphoning gas just to like get from one town to another. And basically, they find out that they have this opportunity to 
make like a one giant payday that would allow them to get all the way back home. Uh, but it's at a like straight up neo-Nazi skinhead bar in like rural Oregon. They get there, they see a dead body thing, you know, th things, you know, p knives are drawn and, and it, it, it degenerates into this, you know, very violent, uh, thriller kind of thing. And, um, you know, it's a good movie. It's a good movie, most definitely. Like the, uh, I, as I understand, the director himself was uh, was actually has actually been played in a punk band, and the the you know, um, the 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 depiction of of what it is like to you know be in a punk band, and particularly a you know, s small fry indie less successful one, seems you know very authentic. Uh, and, and, you know, so too does the, the depiction of the, you know, the neo-Nazis and everything. But I guess that's just, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like a good thriller, but I guess I just feel like at the end of the day for being about literally a hardcore punk band from Washington, DC, uh, fighting, uh, literal neo-Nazis in the rural Northwest, I feel like it just doesn't have that much to say about its subject matter beyond like, hey guys, isn't this kind of cool? These are things that exist and are interesting. Fair enough, fair enough. I, I haven't seen the movie, as I say. I do intend to see it, if only because apparently they, they have a quite an extensive selection of hardcore punk music from, from the 80s as, as the soundtrack. Yes, uh, I, I will, oh, yes, one, one other thing I, I will say to the movie's credit, and, and again, despite my that, that criticism... Uh, that I gave it, it is fundamentally a good movie, and I, I recommend going to see it. It's just that I didn't. I, I the the main thing that I took away from it is a desire to go and pick up a Dead Kennedys record. Well, if, if it inspired you to do that, then uh, then I'm sure it was uh, worth your while. Uh, anyway, so my honorable mention, which it, it gets in here on a on a kind of a, a weird technicality, um, so. My honorable mention is Only Yesterday, um, a.k.a. Omohide Poro Poro, which is a Studio Ghibli movie from 1991 that is only seeing its um, official uh, North American release this year. Um, so if I counted this as a movie uh, that came out this year, uh, it would be number one. However, uh, in consideration of the fact that I have seen it before on a bootleg, uh, and it is available, <laughs> like, in the world before, um, it, it is my honorable mention. However, Omohide Poro Poro, only yesterday, is a tremendous film. Uh, it's not made by Hayao Miyazaki. It's made by uh, Perpetual Second Fiddle at Studio Ghibli, Isao Takahata. And basically, he, he also uh, brought us uh, Pompoko and uh, My Neighbors, the Yamadas, um, and I think he did The Cat Returns. Um, so, anyway, and you can kind of see that because the art style is a little bit different than what you're going to get in most Studio Ghibli movies. It's a little less, quote-unquote, anime, and it's more, like, watercolor and more bit more realistic in terms of the way people's bodies look and move and things like that. Anyway, so Only Yesterday uh, basically is about... A, uh, it's set in you know, the early 90s, it's about a salary woman uh, in Japan who goes back to her family's uh, rural, uh, like her, her family's home in the countryside of Japan for kind of a vacation, uh, you know, getting away from the stresses of city life, etc., etc. And it's basically about um, her 
you know, uh, being drawn back into that, and it's it. There's a romance angle to it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and but throughout the movie, what what happens is there are these sort of magic realist kind of flashbacks to her childhood. So it's a depiction of that as well. Um, now, what I've heard is that this movie makes only really makes sense if you grew up like in the uh, post-war period in Japan. Um, because apparently, like, there's many things that are very specific references to that time period. Like, there's a scene where they do calisthenics um, at, at, in the morning listening to the radio, and apparently that was just a thing that was always on in the morning was the calisthenics by the radio in Japan. Anyway, but e- even beyond the kind of cultural specificity of it, I think it really works as an exploration of nostalgia, as an exploration of childhood, as an exploration of what it means to, you know, be a... a it's, it's fundamentally a very mature work, which is not something that you, you ordinarily get out of anime. And, you know, I, I do like some anime, but, um, you know, this isn't, you know, dragons and sword fighting and, you know, the, the, the blob at the end of Akira or, or whatever. Like, this is... This is, this, this is more... Um... Grave of the Fireflies. Well, maybe not quite as as grave as, as Grave of the Fireflies. It, it's it's fundamentally a kind of you know warm work. It, it, it has a lot of heart to it. Um, and, and in particular, what I, I find interesting about it is it is a depiction of it. it's probably one of the the more um, nuanced depictions, definitely in a Japanese film that you're going to get of a of a adult woman on, on screen. Um, and, and that's not something you often see in anime either. The an adult woman being your main character. Um, anyway, uh, just a, a fantastic film. I, I guess what I would compare it to, if you want to point a comparison, would be maybe something like Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy, or, um, something like Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's a bit of a slow pace. It's not, you know, particularly high action, but it's really... Uh, the character is really fully realized. Um, one thing I will say that's negative, the dub is that they just made is kind of whatever. You want to watch the, the original Japanese. Um, but anyway, uh, Omohide Poro Poro, only yesterday, a, a fantastic uh, work that uh, is often forgotten in the Studio Ghibli canon. And I'm hoping now that it's uh, officially released stateside, more people will check it out. Yeah, I, uh, you know, all I really have to say on the subject is despite the care- the carefully chambered uh, reference to Grave of the Fireflies, uh, I-, I must out myself as be- being one of the, the ignorant few in the- this age of, uh, you know, globalized popular culture who has knows almost nothing about Studio Ghibli and about, like, anime films. Hey, have you not seen, like, Kiki's Delivery Service, even? Or, or um, nope. Spirited Away, or... I've, I've seen Grave of the Fireflies. That's okay, it. okay. Well, yeah, I don't know if I would say only yesterday is the, the best entry point into their work, but it, but it's certainly um, certainly one to, to look at. Noted. Okay, so with that uh, being said, we will move on to our list proper. Uh, your number five, Edward. All right, well, Captain America Civil War. Um, you know, it's a, it's a good movie. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess if we're, if we're really going to get into it, I mean, this... You know, this is fundamentally, I think, even more than uh, actually either of the Avengers movies thus far. This is, like, the kind of movie that the Marvel Cinematic Universe exists to bring us. Like, what they're able to do in this movie with already established 
you know, plot threads and already established characters and character motivations. You know, the the ability, the way that they're able to cram so much into one movie and still have it work coherently. You know, because if you've seen the previous movies, you understand where, say, Iron Man and where Captain America are both coming from. Uh, is you know I, I think like a, the, the the best argument for this kind of shared universe continuity because it you know it is a really you know complex movie I mean uh, about in, you know in terms of it, it it's the breakdown of the Avengers and you know each of them kind of uh, aligning along along broad ideological lines uh, and the way that you know both kind of Captain America is very, you know, principled, um, <clears throat> you know, very, very, very principled, uh, sort of old fashioned views about, uh, about, you know, freedom and such. And, and Tony Stark's own sort of, you know, brushes with mortality inform their, the choices they make as well as their, their own, as, as well as their, their own, you know, personal struggles and relationships to characters like, uh, like Pepper Potts in the case of, Tony Stark or, or uh, you know, Bucky Barnes in the case of Captain America. Uh, and and I, I just think what they're, what they're able to do with that, that broader world and the, you know, developed characters is really great. Uh, so that's, that's, that's kind of the, like, slightly more, like, legit film criticism-y part of it. The other part is that it has freaking Spider-Man fighting, like, half the Avengers, and it is just friggin' awesome. Uh, like the, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's the same, it's the, the Russo brothers, you know, it's the same guys who, who directed, uh, Winter Soldier. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly think that, that, that Winter Soldier, like on top of being like a fantastic story, uh, had some, some really great action, very visceral, very well directed. And that is absolutely still the case with, uh, Captain America Civil War. Yeah. Um, so I, it'll, it, it, it is on my list a little bit later and I'll talk about it then. Okay, so my number five, which is kind of my weird uh, experimental art movie pick, is uh, The Lobster by, uh, now I'm going to mispronounce this guy's name, but I believe it's um, Yargos Lanathimos, um, who also made Dogtooth um, several years ago. Um, now, Dogtooth uh, is very infamous for being one of the most uh, uncomfortable and weird movies that you're ever going to watch in your life. Uh, I won't really explain Dogtooth. Dogtooth explains itself uh, is the only way you're ever going to figure out what Dogtooth is. It's like the Matrix. Uh, anyway, so The Lobster is, is a bit of a dial down in terms of that, but it retains the same sort of uh, tone in terms of its, like, oddly dystopian, uh, off-putting, what is going on, uh, and mixed with this very dry comedy um that he's got going on. So what was fun about the premise of the lobster? So it's set in what appears to be a sort of semi dystopian uh, future. Uh, basically Colin Farrell is the main uh, lead. He plays a man who uh, his wife has recently died and uh, his brother has recently been turned into a dog for reasons I'll mention in a little bit, um, who goes to this uh, hotel, which is basically, um, uh, everybody who's, who doesn't have a, who isn't married or isn't, you know, with someone has to go to this hotel in this future. And in this hotel, you're supposed to meet another person. Uh, and if you don't within, I think it's 45 days, um, you are turned into an animal, uh, of your, uh, choice. Uh, and he, the, the title comes from the fact that he 
thinks he wants to be made into a lobster if, if that should happen to him. Um, so this is an incredibly strange movie, and, and that's, you know, just the premise, and we kind of go from there. Um, and, you know, I, I think th how much you'll appreciate this movie really depends on two things. The first is how much you can appreciate a movie as a kind of constructed, extended metaphor, um, because basically what the movie, like the sort of dystopian future that the movie posits is like a dystopian future that largely seems to be based on like coupled heteronormativity. Um, so, you know, that's the whole kind of underlying quote-unquote joke of the movie, um, is that, you know, everybody must be in a couple, and you must have children, and, and you know, this is the whole, the whole construction. So, obviously, there's a, a great deal of kind of social metaphor that's baked into, um, a lot of the things, uh, in the film, and you can kind of, you know, point them out as you go. Um, the other thing that you have to be, uh, comfortable with is... A lot of sort of what is going on and moments that are going to make you cringe. There is a moment in this movie where I won't spoil why this happens, but John C. Riley gets his hand stuck, like gets his hand jammed into a toaster um, by the hotel manager, um, and you literally have to sit there for like 45 seconds while his hand burns in the toaster. Um, so if you're not uh, willing to deal with that kind of that kind of like on-screen discomfort, this is not the movie for you. Um, however, I liked it uh, because, uh, A, I am a weird pod person, and this movie spoke to me. Um, the other thing is that, um, you know, underneath all of that, I, I think there's a lot of wit to this movie. I think it's very dry, it's very understated. Um, but but it has a wit to it. It has a it has a, you know it has a lot a lot to say. I, I, I genuinely think, and you know the performances are, are really good in, in an interesting way. You've got John C. Riley in there. You've got um, Rachel Weisz. You've got uh, Sophie Chapman from Peep Show, uh, and you've got uh, oh gosh, you've got Ben Wishaw, um, who most people would probably know as Q in the new James Bond movies in there. Um, so it, it's a well-cast movie. It's a, it's an interesting movie. The world it creates is very good. If you were a fan of Dogtooth, uh, you'll, you will enjoy this. Again, it's, this is probably less severe, uh, to take than Dogtooth was. Another person I might compare it to in terms of the tone anyway would be like a Michael Hanukkah film. If you like Michael Hanukkah's films, you, you'll probably enjoy this. Um, yeah, so The Lobster, a, a fascinating work, uh, one that's definitely an acquired taste, but, uh, nevertheless, I thought was, uh, good this year. Yeah, uh, I haven't had a chance to see it. I did I did note it when it came to town, but uh, actually maybe I should have mentioned this earlier in the podcast. Uh, because, because, of, because of various circumstances relating to buying festival tickets, I have been extremely short on spending money for like several months. And uh, so there were some films I legitimately just didn't see because I didn't have the money to go to the movies for a while. So uh, and that would that that the, the lobster is is one that I would I would put uh, I would include in that in that category and that I, I forgot to mention earlier but yeah no and and the the uh, but no from, and from what you say it sounds very interesting I mean I think the the idea of a, a a dystopian future where the you know ideology be being set up for critique is the the kind of ambient uh, you know heteronormative idea that you know everyone must be in a couple and must produce children or else they're somehow worthless is, you know, more than, more than ripe for that kind of, uh, you know, high-minded deconstruction. So, uh, I'm on board. Okay, good. Okay. So you're number four of that, Edward. 
All right, my my number four is uh, the witch, or the 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 witch if you want to be fucking pretentious. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's a really good movie. Um, it's you know for those who who don't know, I, th- I feel like this is a slightly more mainstream one, but it's it's really quite simply uh, this Puritan family uh, living in like seventeenth century New England. Uh, and this is like not even remotely a spoiler because it literally happens in the first scene. They've been like expelled from their, uh, like their, their Puritan colony and they're literally just like roughing it on them on their own, trying to survive. Uh, although it, it is later established that, you know, they're not like completely isolated, but, uh, you know, that, that's not, uh, that's not a, a hugely important point. Um, and it, it's basically, um, I mean, you know what? What uh, it's uh, and as as the title suggests, it uh, you know delves into the kind of uh, hysteria, or uh, actually maybe that's not a good word to use in this case, but uh, the paranoia around um, around around you know witchcraft and accusations of witchcraft in uh, you know Puritan New England, um, and uh, I I mean I mean you know if it's on this list, it, it is. The main reason is just the incredible strength of the period detail. Um, it uh, and uh, it, it at, at at the end of the movie, they, they there's actually a little line that pops up that says that you know this this is is it's uh, like it's a, it's a fictional thing, but it is kind of a composite of various like witchcraft cases that that actually did exist, and in fact that a lot of the dialogue is actually taken. Uh, directly from these original sources and it, it really shows like it, it really does feel like you know stepping into a time machine back to a time when you know Calvinist theology structured the you know entire worldview and 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 the every waking moment of these people um, and and uh, the, the, the world that they inhabited uh, and it's it's really fascinating, and it's also a, a great mystery because uh, you know I'm not going to tell you, but there there is kind of a, a big question uh, that hangs over most of the film as to like who or what exactly the, the witch is and uh, what she or or they want, and there's a, a number of different uh, there's a number of different sort of red herrings that 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 that, that pop up, and um, you know. I, I will say this would this would actually probably be be higher on my um, uh, list, except for the fact that it's and I mean I, I'm sure that for other people this would be a plus, but that it it ends in a way that that kind of upends a lot of things that we've previously seen in the film, and that kind of leaves leaves it very open to interpretation as to like what has happened and what. The, the the director might be trying to say you know the the the, the interpretation i i choose to 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 sort of cl- to cleave to uh, and again I, I promise this isn't too much of a spoiler is that really what it is is fundamentally uh it's a movie it's 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 almost less of a horror movie in a in a supernatural sense despite the like the fact that there's a witch in it as it's just like seeing this family you know, under the pressure of both, you know, mundane things like crop failure and, and, you know, the weird supernatural influences, this family who, you know, literally like leave the, the, the plantation singing Puritan hymns, 
you know, how they, they break down from their, you know, facade of piety into just backstabbing and mutual recrimination and hatred and how, how, how thin their, their veneer of, uh, of moral uprightness proves to be when actually put to the test. But why I'm, I hesitate to put it a little higher uh, is because, you know, I'll just be very direct about this. The, the ending is so ambiguous and you could read so many different things into it that what and, and you know, at, at first I just kind of thought, oh, no, I'm just being silly. I'm overthinking this. But and I mean, to some extent I am. But, you know, I'm, I'm here criticizing films. What, what, what am I doing if I'm not overthinking these things? Um, is that, you know, one interpretation of it is kind of that, you know, maybe the, all those Puritans who, like, hanged almost 20 women in, in you know, 1691, 1692, or maybe 69, you know, Salem Witch is what I'm basically alluding to here. Like, maybe they had a reason for what they were doing. And, like, as much as, again, I'm probably, like, reading too much, like, historical and political subtext into this, the fact that that is a valid reading just makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, um, so I, I like The Witch as well. It, it's not on my list, kind of for that reason. I think the ending is so ambiguous that it kind of felt like maybe the director was just kind of like, you figure it out, guys. It's 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 anything you want it to be. And like I've seen a lot of very interesting commentary on this movie, but I feel like that ending is kind of a raw shock test in terms of like your political and personal background in terms of what you read into it is almost oh, more important than what is actually there on the screen. So that's one problem. The second one is like I I found, like, I, what, what is really impressive about this movie is the period detail, the, the exquisite attention to detail, and you mentioned the dialogue, but also the costuming, the, the setting, it really does give you that feel of, like, really depressing life of Calvinist uh, Puritan settlers, um, so that's really good. I guess, to me, it was just kind of, they had that whole construction, but they, the plot they built around it was interesting enough, but not quite all the way there. I feel like if it didn't have that exquisite attention to detail, um, I don't think people would be talking about this movie nearly as much as they are. So, to me, it was a bit of a of a triumph of form over function, if you catch my drift. Um, nevertheless, a, a, an interesting movie um, in terms of what it was doing, and I definitely agree with you that um, it was one of those movies where, you know, it, it kind of makes that trite point of it, you know, the, the worst monster of all is man kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm always glad to see that reiterated on screen. So so The Witch was a, was a solid little thriller. Okay, so my number four, then, uh, is Eye in the Sky. Um, so Eye in the Sky uh, is basically a, another kind of a, a thriller. It's, it's a military thriller, but um, it concerns the, the drone war. So um, you've got Alan Rickman in what I believe is his final on-screen performance. I could be wrong about that, but it's certainly... I... I believe that's correct. Certainly one of his final on-screen performances, if not his final one. Um, and you've got Helen Mirren, uh, and you've got, uh, you know, a, a cast of, uh, you know, other very good actors, Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. Actually, I, I, uh, I another name we have to shout out, I think, uh, Barkat Abdi, who people might recognize from uh, Captain Phillips as the, the head of the pirates in that Yes, Barkat Abdi, yes, uh, doing another good performance. And basically, you know, it, it's kind of actually funny. It's kind of, This movie kind of made me think of Ted Cloverfield Lane in a weird way because 
this movie really could be done on stage uh, in terms of the, the way it's it's done. Like, yes, you do have some kind of action scenes, but basically the whole movie centers around, um, you know, a drone operation that's being conducted jointly between the U.S. and Britain and also Kenya. Uh, and they have a man on the ground, he's played by Valkan Abdi, um, and they have, you know, people in the uh, Drone Command Center in Nevada, who's Aaron Paul, and then another uh, character, and then you've got British Command with Helen Mirren and Alan Wickman, as well as some political advisors um, trying to determine if they should execute a drone strike um, on a um, terrorist uh uh, lead, uh, t- a terrorist leader, I guess you would say, um, who's both of whom are British citizens uh, who are in a neighborhood in Nairobi, Kenya. That's basically the entire movie, is them going back and forth, debating what, should they do this, what are the consequences of doing this, civilian casualties, all that kind of thing. Now, one thing negative I will say about this movie is that I feel like if you don't have a very extensive understanding of like what happens in the drone war and you believe that this movie is kind of a totally realistic depiction of it. I think it is somewhat misleading in, in for a few reasons. One is is that a lot of drone strikes are not done in urban areas. They're done in tribal areas and things like that. So that's one little issue with it. But as far as a kind of uh, kind of one room morality play, where you have all these different points of view politically and morally uh, bouncing off of each other um, about the central action, I think this is a really uh, strong piece of work. Uh, you know, a couple of janky CGI parts aside, I think the action in it is fairly well done when it is there, but really you're here for the performances. Um, you've got a tremendous, you know, great role by Alan Rickman, tremendous work by Helen Mirren as always, uh, and Barkhan Abdi doing some great work. It's just a really well done, very well written, uh, very just immaculately laid out um, kind of, uh, again, like I say, it reminded me a lot of, a, of a, something you can produce on, on stage. Um, is it gonna, I don't think it will fully deliver if you're looking for, like, a military thriller in the traditional sense of that word, like, you know, guns, bang, bang, pow, pow, shoot. Uh, it's not that kind of movie. Um, it's a bit slower paced, but what I liked about it was that it brought a, you know, it brought a very interesting um, understanding to a part of warfare that's very much a reality in our world right now, um, but often is, you know, very overlooked. I think only this and, and Good Kill, um, which I saw and was not very good, um, you know, really deal with this aspect of warfare in a very serious way. Um, so for that reason, I, I put Eye in the Sky on here. Yeah, well, uh, let's uh, let me just say that I'll have more to say about this film later in this podcast. Okay, perfect. So your number three then? Yeah, the nice guys. Um, oh God, I, <laughs> I, 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 if I, if I, if I gush too much about this film, uh, you know, full context, I did literally see it uh, like two or three days ago. Um, you know, for those, for those not aware, this is uh, a film from Shane Black, the guy who did, uh, well, most recently, like, Iron Man 3, but, like, you know, if, you, if you're worth your salt, you know that he's, like, lethal weapon. Um, and it's, like, a very knowing, uh, homage to sort of, uh, like, a lot of, like, old-fashioned... Uh, you know, film noir, pulp detective stories, uh, but also, you know, kind of takes them from, like, you know, the, the, the traditional, like, 
you know 1940s setting up to uh, up to the 1970s um but it is it is very knowing and uh you know frankly it is here on this list and it is this high on this list because it is gut-bustingly hilarious and i say that as someone who you know is you like I'll, I'll be frank i'm usually not a huge fan of comedy movies or movies that are that are like just a comedy uh you know a lot of people you know will will, will sell me on something say like oh it's really funny uh like a, an example i could give you would be uh neighbors you know i saw that a while back uh when that came out last year or the year before thought it was like pretty funny but it, it didn't like absolutely kill me this movie just uh you know manages to get such great comedic performances out of its uh out of its actors which are uh, you know lead actors ryan gosling and russell crowe um and it, it's 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 just so you know so, so some of the some of the 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 you know situations they find themselves in are just so uh absurd and um it just it, it's like I, I, fundamentally it's, it's a movie that just killed me and uh you know as is kind of the, the problem with with jokes uh is that you know i can't exactly tell you much more without spoiling it but you know one thing i will say is that it, it is kind of a, a very self-aware film and that it kind of pokes fun uh at at a lot of the you know tropes of the of your you know film noir detective story um in, in with two two hilarious results and again in my opinion um and you know what like the fact that but but and, and this is something you're, you're going to hear up from a lot of critics is that it's also fundamentally just a movie uh that gets great performances in which you know the main actors are clearly just having fun with what they're doing and ryan gosling in particular you know i can't even think of what else he's been in that is is like a straight up comedy like this I think Ryan Gosling, you know, based on this film, may be like an untapped, uh, may have an, a, a great well of untapped talent when it comes to comedy. Uh, I mean, even even just like the physical comedy of, if you've never seen a film in which you hear Ryan Gosling scream like a girl, uh, it, he does in this film, and it's gloriously hilarious. So... Um, uh, I, 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 do, I, will, I will put a caveat on it by saying it's, uh, it's not a perfect film. It can be a little messy in spots. Uh, the, the first scene in particular, which I kind of didn't appreciate that much, kind of like veers tonally from being like kind of cute nostalgia trip to like wacky comedy to like something that honestly ends up feeling kind of like exploitative and like make made me feel a little like sketchy just for having watched it but um it just what once the jokes really get rolling and the 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 buddy comedy duo of uh of of uh you know russell crowe and ryan gosling hit their stride it's it's so funny that i i can't help it. um so yeah i i haven't seen this and actually i should have put this up i want to see i i haven't uh, seen it but it definitely yeah, no, ever since I saw the trailer, I, I knew I wanted to see this. Um, one thing I will ask, though, is, is have you seen, um, you know, you mentioned the Lethal Weapon movies, but have you seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Or... I actually Okay, no. so, yeah, it seemed a bit similar to me, because that's, um, that's Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer um, in a similar kind of knowing, self-aware, 
kind of uh, of a buddy cop detective uh, thriller, although that's set in in the present day, and it uh, is actually a lot more kind of self-referential because it's both about Robert Downey Jr.'s own past and also Shane Black's experiences as a as a screenwriter in Hollywood. So anyway, th- that's another one of his movies that you might want to. Well, and, and I guess and I guess I, I will say with that. I, I will also say like one of the things is that they they really milk the the, the 70s setting um, and this is this is something that they set up early on is that the, you know kind of both of the main characters uh, you know have the, this 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 kind of you know, like the, the the classic you know film noir you know hero that narrates his his own world and that, that they both come across as these you know incredibly cynical you know oh kids these days and the the decadence of western society and it's but it's it's all like done very knowingly and played for laughs in a way that like i say pays off okay fair enough okay so speaking of of, i guess kind of knowing my uh third uh number three is uh hail caesar the coen brothers newest movie um so hail caesar I, I kind of don't want to spoil this too much because a lot of the movie rests no, on a on a twist that happens about a half hour in that I won't spoil for you. But I, I guess what I liked about this movie, and it's not a perfect movie, it's not the Coen's best movie, it's not probably even in the top half of their movies. It, it it it's probably comparable best to something like Burn After Reading or uh, one of those where. It's a bit lower stakes than what you what you're usually getting it with the Coens. But what I liked about it was that two things. The first is that even though it's kind of poking fun at the Hollywood of the 1950s, the studio system, the uh, Red Scare, all that, it it has a kind of genuine appreciation for the kind of overblown spectacle of those movies and recreates them in in a quite uh, loving um, and in one case involving a dance sequence a quite elaborate uh, way um, and so that's the first part. The second part is just it's a really funny movie like like you say with the nice guys I I can't really explain you know jokes right but. There's a lot of very witty dialogue in this movie. There's a lot of very, uh, you know, good performances from a, from an all-star cast. You've got Josh Brolin as kind of the main character who's playing kind of a, ha- a studio fixer, kind of private eye, um, who, you know, kind of keeps all the stars in line, manages all the publicity kind of thing behind the scenes. And he kind of ties the movie together. But what kind of it puts me off a bit about it is fundamentally this is more or less a series of sketches than it is a fully formed movie. At some point, this, the storylines kind of interweave, but it's a little bit uh, not quite fully connected. Um, and that's kind of, but but Josh Bolton kind of ties it together in, in his way. Um, but, you know, a lot of the sketches are really funny. All of them have really good actors. You got George Clooney, you got Channing Tatum, Scarlett Johansson, big cast. Uh, and all of it comes together pretty well. And I, I guess, you know, if you want to understand the Glamshian march through the institutions, uh, you really need to watch Hail Caesar. And that's uh, all, all I'm going to say about it. Yeah, well, uh, this actually works out pretty well because we're we're gonna skip right ahead to my number two because it, it is also Hail Caesar, um, and uh, yeah, like see that's that's the thing is that uh, I mean honestly a lot of what I'm gonna say is just gonna kind of be reiterating and and expanding on what Carter said. Um, it really like at, at the same time that it, it it you know kind of wants to be like 
slightly cynical and kind of you know go behind the scenes and show how you know all the all the 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 the, the you know the, the the wonderful you know choreography and music and all that beautiful razzmatazz was you know ultimately being uh you know put together by you know people who were fundamentally you know it was a business and there were all kinds of shady dealings going on behind the scenes but like yeah, like he says, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be a bit more explicit. There's there's one uh, scene where they actually have uh, Channing Tatum uh, put on a, what turns out to be a very elaborate dance number. And it's like, as, a, as, as, as Carter says, it actually goes on for, for a little while. And it's like, at, it's, it's kind of, and I, th- I think in a way, it's kind of emblematic of the movie as a whole and its attitude towards... Uh, the what, its subject matter. It starts out with you're you're watching this thing and you're like, oh, haha, you know, this is a, a knowing parody of you know 1950s, uh, you know, tap dancing and whatever. But it's like it just keeps going and going and and being that good to the point where you you kind of get roped in and you're like, yeah, you know what, this is actually a a hell of a show, kind of thing. Um, yeah, and. Uh, there's, uh, like I said, there's there's a twist that is 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 really I I I don't want to spoil it because I was watching this in in the in the in the 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 theater and as as they kind of as as they kind of build up to the 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 revelation of uh, the, the of uh, who exactly we're we're dealing with here as the I guess nominal bad guys of the of the story, although that's that's slightly more complicated. But what what as as they build up to and ultimately reveal just who these people are, uh, my my jaw dropped in a way that few movies have made my jaw drop. And you know maybe it's it's laser targeted at, at me in that sense, given my own sort of political and intellectual background. But it is it is hilarious. And at the same time, it's just, uh, you know, you know, it's, uh, let me just say this. What, they, they, they bring to bear a, a voice and a perspective, which, you know, whatever Glenn Beck or whoever might say, uh, is not often represented in, uh, in, in film, except as like kind of, you know, stock villains who's, who's, uh, you know, ideology is, is given only only the, the most passing uh, reference. Um, oh, and one thing that I can't let slip before we move on to our next whatever we're doing is uh, one, one character actor who I, I think deserves to be highlighted is uh, Alden Ehrenreich. And uh, I don't even know, I mean, okay, like I, I quickly looked at his Wikipedia and apparently he's been in a couple of other things, but this is certainly... The first thing I've seen him in, and I, I would definitely put him in the sort of up-and-coming actor, um, you know, uh, category. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's actually going to be playing Young Hong Solo in, uh, you know, future, uh, you know, unnamed Star Wars spinoff. Um, but he plays uh, basically this character who's like a like a like an old-fashioned 1950s. Um, you know, cowboy movie star or a, a singing cowboy, and he really just leans into the part, and he just that he just perfectly uh, embodies that that kind of you know ah shucks uh, you, you, you know charm of uh, 
of your your your, your old fashioned uh, you know pre Clint Eastwood westerns. Yeah, no, I yeah, I I think I, I said everything I need to say, so we'll move on to my number two, which is Captain America: Civil War. Uh, so yeah, I, I you know I echo basically everything that everyone said. I I think like you said, the the biggest thing about this movie, what it really gets right, is that it it is really um, succeeding about like now that we've done all this setup with the Marvel movies, what can we actually do with it that we couldn't do in another kind of movie, right? Um, because you understand the background of the characters, you understand what their motivations are, you understand what their ideological positions are. And because of that, we don't need to have, you know, a, a to- elaborate backstory on, like, well, why does Captain America believe this? Why does Iron Man believe this? Why would they be on opposite sides of this conflict? They get to that pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, maybe that would frustrate some people who kind of go in and out of these movies and don't watch all of them. Uh, I am a nerd, uh, and I have no life, uh, so I do. Uh, so, therefore... Uh, you know, I have an understanding of what's going on here. And I guess that's what I liked about it is that they trusted in the audience enough to be able to understand what was going on, that they didn't have to reiterate every single point. It was very much show, don't tell. Another thing I really liked about it, and actually why I think this is the superior, like this is a much better sequel to the Avengers than uh, Avengers Age of Ultron was, was that it's it's fundamentally the, the idea of like making the sophomore movie the darker one, right? So you have Empire Strikes Back being the emblematic example of that. In that, this is where the Avengers start to break down. They start to start fighting each other instead of fight, fight, fighting a villain. And one of the very interesting things about this movie is that the key villain is, I won't spoil it, is actually not a kind of like existential threat to the world. He's an existential threat to the Avengers, specifically, to their cohesion as a unit. And, you know, I think that's interesting, the idea of, like, kind of dialing back the spectacle a little bit in that way, even though, like, the mid- the midpoint of the movie, which, if there's one flaw in it, the best action scene is in the middle. Um, that's just a fantastic, like, just everything you wanted when you were, you know, playing with your action figures as a kid, you know, just all the superheroes fight each other uh, kind of thing. Um and yeah, I, I really appreciated what they were able to do within the confines of this world. I don't think it's the best uh, Marvel movie. I still think that's Winter Soldier, which um, both manages to be a fantastic standalone, like, spy thriller, um, a great Captain America movie, and have a, a political message. One thing I, I kind of felt a little bit disappointed about is that it is based somewhat on the Civil War comic books, which had a kind of more of a, an explicitly political undertone to them. Um, this one does a bit, it's kind of about, <coughs> excuse me, it's kind of about, you know, the idea of unilateral intervention versus, you know, UN mandated kind of things, because that's the fundamental divide is, should the Avengers be put under the, you know, auspices of the UN? Um, but whereas the original Civil War comic, it was kind of more about Patriot Act surveillance kind of stuff, which you could say they kind of tackled that in Winter Soldier, so, you know, maybe no need to reiterate it. Personally, I found that a little more interesting, but nevertheless. Um, you know, I think it sets up uh, the, the rest of the, the films pretty well, uh, I think. And another thing that is great about it is both of the new characters in the movie, uh, uh, Tom Holland as uh, Spider-Man and um, I'm blanking on his name uh, as Black Panther, uh, everyone maybe can help me. Uh, uh, God, oh, God, he was in uh, the, the, the Jackie Robinson movie, and I'm also... Anyway, well, apologies, um, apologies. But Black Panther's really yeah, good in this movie, even though we don't see... We're, 
Black Panther is really good in this movie. We don't see a whole lot of him, but what you do see is really good. I think they're kind of keeping the powder dry for, for the Black Panther movie, um, which should be interesting. Um, and, and But Spider-Man, actually, I think is actually probably the best Joe Revelation in this movie. He's honestly probably my favorite on-screen depiction of Spider-Man, at least thus far. He, he captures really the kind of... Um, what I think they managed to capture with him is the kind of wise-cracking element of Spider-Man that hasn't really been in there with the other uh, films. You know, because that, that's the thing, if you read a Spider-Man comic, is that Spider-Man is there to be the kind of jerk that Peter Parker can't be. So, you know, that's why you always see Spider-Man, like, cracking jokes when he's, you know, hitting, you know, when, he, when he's fighting the bad guys. Uh, because it's, you know, fundamentally the, the idea is he puts on that mask to, you know, both, to, you know, protect people, but also to, you know, be the kind of joke he can't be when he's, you know, nerdy Peter Parker. I think they managed to get the, that across in this movie pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think it's a really fun uh, movie. And, oh, yeah, and then the final thing is, this movie actually does what Batman and Superman intended to do uh, in terms of, like, considering the collateral damage that would come from, um, you know, the superhero kind of antics uh, as a very brief, you know, it manages to do that and also all kinds of other things, uh, whereas Batman and Superman couldn't even get that right. Uh, so for that reason alone, it deserves a spot on this list. Um, however, I think this is honestly my third favorite Marvel movie after the original Avengers and Winter Soldier. Um, yeah, just a very strong entry in the in the catalog. Yeah, I mean, so I already said most of what I have to say, but I, I, another thing that I, I find interesting that this movie accomplishes is that I do think that as, as much as, you know, a lot of people have commented like, yeah, this is kind of the, the Avengers sequel we really wanted. It succeeds in both being kind of, a, you know, an, an, another Avengers movie while still being very much a Captain America movie because a lot of the, the stakes of the plot are driven by Captain America and his actions and his his his, his you know own plot threads and his, his relationship to various characters, um, and uh, and I, I uh, again I, I won't spoil, uh, but you know Carter did allude to the villain who uh, I think uh, uh, you know bears mentioning just that it's a it's a great turn by that particular actor who. Uh, Maybe maybe new to some people who don't watch so much, uh, or who don't watch that much, uh, you know, foreign cinema, um, with maybe like one exception where he has been in America in an American movie. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a great turn. Yeah. Okay, so uh, your number one then. Yeah. So my number one is Eye in the Sky, uh, and I I I will say that. Um, you know, I certainly agree with with uh, the point that that you brought up, and that I actually was uh, hadn't hadn't even thought of coming into this into this uh, podcast, but is very true. Is that if if the movie does have one weakness, is that the um, you know as much as the the drone program is kind of shrouded in in secrecy, uh, just just based on the you know uh, on on even the 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 sort of little bits of information that we have the the scenario uh portrayed in this movie is not representative i i think it's fair to say of of you know the the situations in which drone strikes most often occur um and for that reason you know some might say uh not without reason that it it, it does maybe lean 
a little bit heavier on the uh, pro drone war side of the equation than it, than it otherwise would, just because of the way the the scenario is set up and sort of forces uh, certain choices. Uh, but at the same time, you know, whatever the movie itself might be saying, it's not, uh, you know, it's 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 not, uh, you know, hand holding and 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 sort of trying to uh, drive home a specific message so much as it is trying to get you to reflect on the um, on, on this issue. And I think that. You know, more more than anything, it's not like like uh, you you compare it to Good Kill, which uh, you know I th I think is is old enough now that it's fair to say Good Kill was very much a message movie that was very much anti drone war and and was uh, I I would I, I you know you can say what, we can debate whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's it's almost agitprop at some at some points Good Kill, whereas this one uh, while you aren't going to necessarily come away from it you know, having, having become truly woke, um, it, it definitely, I think, makes a good jumping off point for discussion because which characters you sympathize with in this film and which, which perspectives you sympathize with and how you feel about the decisions that they ultimately make, uh, I think will reveal a lot about what you probably think about about the drone war more generally, and especially since this is such an issue, which despite its you know broad implications, I mean you know anti-terrorism and you know limits on the the the, the armed power of the state and and the the, the huge uh, philosophical and political issues at play in the drone war is is a conflict that I think far too few people really think or talk about in in in, in any depth. And so for that reason, you know, even if it's not going to like, I don't know, suddenly spark a movement to impeach Obama or, or something for, for the drone war, um, it's definitely a, a good starting off point. And I think if, I don't know, if people, like, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say this is suddenly over, overnight going to change the conversation, but, you know, if enough people saw this and, and really thought about what they saw, I think it would at least, you know, push to some very serious and and much needed reflection on uh on on this aspect of modern mm -hmm. no that that's all very true okay so my number one uh and i i guess this is a bit of a low-key one and i guess something I, I wanted to express at the top which i'll express now is i found this to be a bit of a lean year so far um in, in a better year this would not be where it is but here we are um it's all the way um, the HBO film uh, starring uh, Brian Cranston as uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson. This, which okay. is based on a play, which uh, basically it is about um, Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, between the assassination of President Kennedy and his his election uh, against Barry Goldwater in 1964. So it covers about a two-year period in uh, the life of Lyndon Baines Johnson. When, you know, what, what the film mostly concerns, although there are, you know, other points as well, um, is passing the 1964 Civil Rights Act and uh, his running against Barry Goldwater. So the, what I liked about this movie is, I, I guess, first of all, it, you know, 
um, broadcasted this paid Linda Bay Johnson on stage in the, the stage version of this movie uh, before, so he really inhabits the character. I think he this is a tremendous performance from Brian Cranston, and he really get, manages to get that very you know, unique combination of idealism and total political cynicism that Lyndon Baines Johnson had that you don't... He, he's a very unique politician in, in that respect. And I mean, this is not a political podcast this time, so, you know, we're not talking about Lyndon Baines Johnson. But just to say, I think he really manages to capture that character. Um, and, you know, some might say, well, you know, this movie doesn't really talk about the Vietnam War very much. It's there in the background. This is before the real escalation of the war. So I, I, I think that... That's fine. Um, and the the other thing is that I, I think it just manages to capture the period detail very well. It's very dramatically compelling. The scenes around trying to get the Civil Rights Act passed reminded me a lot of uh, Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis in it. Um, you know, the whole, like, political gamesmanship to try and get the 13th and 14th Amendment passed. Um, you know, very similar. He's trying to, you know, cut deals with all the various different people trying to, you know, restrain members of his own party, all that kind of thing. Um, and then you've got, you know, the, uh, you know, for people who don't know about this, the whole drama around the 1964 Democratic National Convention, where you had the Mississippi Freedom Democrats uh, come in. That's dealt with in the movie very well. You've got, and, and just a really well-done casting. You've got Anthony Mackie, who probably most people are going to know as Falcon from Captain America, doing actually a tremendous job as Martin Luther King Jr. in this movie. Um, you've got a really good performance by the guy who plays Walter Ruther. Um, when is the last time you saw Walter Ruther on screen? Uh, you've got and you've got, you know, Stokely Carmichael, you know, all, all, all your favorites from the, from political uh, history of the 1960s yes. are, are in this movie. Um, and you might say, you know, maybe this is just hitting me in a particular spot because this is kind of a period of political history that, that interests me a lot. Um, and yeah, that, that's definitely true. But I think what it manages to capture is the realities of, of being president in this time, a time of, you know, a lot of social unrest, a lot of things going on. Um, and it manages to capture, you know, what, what made Lyndon Johnson such a unique and, and kind of mercurial uh, figure in the American political uh, system. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I guess, you know, for all those reasons, uh, and along with the tremendous performances and the uh, very strong attention to period detail, great costuming, great, uh, you know, set design, all that, all the way with uh, Brian Cranston. Wow. Uh, okay. I recall you told me the other day that you you'd seen this and that it was pretty good. But uh, number one, you know, ahead of uh, you know Civil War and Eye in the Sky and uh, yeah, I mean, this sounds fantastic. I honestly wasn't, you know, per, to be perfectly frank. I mean, it's uh, it was like it's an HBO. It is an HBO movie. movie yeah. yeah, it's the better of the two HB, yeah, so, HBO I mean, I, I, political I, movies this year. It's better than Confirmation. It is better than the Clarence Thomas movie. All right. So that movie was um, also pretty good. I'll, I'll throw that out there. Confirmation with a uh, with a uh, bunk as uh, as uh, Clarence Thomas. That's a good casting. Um, but yeah, no, no, no. This. Well, I mean, damn, I definitely. And you know, I I I, th I think you know this may also be uh, laser targeted as me because I, I I am also very interested in the 
you know, turbulent uh, political times of, you know, the, the, the 1960s as, you know, the civil rights movement ran up against Vietnam, ran up against the last desperate gasps of uh, New Deal liberalism. And uh, yeah, I mean, hey, Brian Cranston, I'm not going to say no. But, uh, okay. Yeah. So, okay, we got through that. So, um, let's kind of say, what are your some movies you're looking forward to in the second half of uh, 2016? Oh crap! Uh, I literally have to open. A okay. For this, so okay, I'll I'll go to... first then. Okay, so I have a, a few here that I want to throw out. Um, so the first is uh, the birth of a nation, uh, not birth of a nation. Uh, the uh, what, what I assume will be the uh, the remake of that film once uh, Trump is elected president. Uh, I got we got to stop making. Oh, so that's that's the because I was one. So it's it's the the original D W Griffith is birth and of a nation. The birth of a nation. I believe nation. I've got that right. I believe I've got that right. Okay. Um, so this is of course the movie about the Nat Turner. Uh, slave Rebellion, uh, getting very good uh, reviews at the film festival circuit. It comes out in the fall in wide release. Um, I'm just very interested to see what they do with it. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, it's a very interesting uh, political episode in, in, in America's history. Um, you know, th- there's different ways you could go with it, and apparently they, they go in a, a good way with it, so I'm uh, interested to see that. Um, you know, I talked about before, I am very interested in seeing Suicide Squad. I think that uh, you know, if they manage to pull that off, it could be a very good uh, use of that, what seems to be developing into the DC House style of, like, you know, grim and gritty, dark uh, things. I'm interested to see, like, with all the weird things that went on in the background, like, I want to know what exactly in the world Jared Leto is doing as the Joker. Um, so, you know, and I think it's a very interesting cast, and one thing I will say for the, in the movie's favor is, you know, people talk about, not unjustly, the lack of casting diversity in a lot of these superheroes movies. It's a very, very diverse cast. Um, so I, I'm very interested to see what, what they do with it. Um, and, and a third one I'll throw out there that may be a bit, a bit um, more controversial, a bit more underrated is, you know, I'm looking forward to the Purge election year. Uh, the, you know, the Purge, the first Purge movie was kind of a, just a, what I thought was a waste of, an, of a good premise on a kind of junky home invasion thriller. The second Purge, uh, the Purge Anarchy with uh, Frank Grillo, who you probably might know from, from the Captain America movies, where he plays a, a kind of bad guy heavy, is uh, a, a fantastic just 80s style, like, you know, uh, B-movie with, you know, kind of trashy B-movie, maybe in the in the vein of something like a Death Wish or, or something like that, but had an interesting political element to it and, and, and had some things to say. And this new one seems to be going even in a more explicitly political direction and, you know, with the uh, upcoming... Uh, things that are that are happening uh, I, I do think that uh you know we should see what they do with it uh, another one i'll throw out ju- just uh, to, to round this off is um the free state of jones uh with uh, matthew mcconaughey um kind of ties back with the birth of a nation it's you know set during the civil war period about a, another kind of interesting uh, historical moment where uh you know the founding of this uh, free state and i this you know quote free state uh in, in i believe what is now part of modern day mississippi uh, by, uh, you know, Matthew McConaughey's character there, um, you know, and it was, uh, you know, where both uh, blacks and, and, and whites were, were, were treated equally. So, it, 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 you know, an interesting historical episode. I, I, uh, I'm interested to see what they do with it. And, uh, you know, maybe 
one day I'll finally get my dream of the William Willem Dafoe starring John Brown uh, biopic show if, if all this keeps up. Uh, so, yeah. so anyway, uh, do you have anything to say about those, or do you have uh, any of your own here? Uh, okay, so coming back on some of the ones you've brought up, uh, yeah, I cannot wait to see The Birth of a Nation. Um, that sounds like just the most fascinating film. Uh, because, and it, and it's, it's, you know, uh, it sounds like pretty obvious just in the sense that it's like, you know, yeah, it's a movie about like, you know, the, about, uh, you know, Nat Turner rebelling against, you know, one of the most unjust and iniquitous social systems, American chattel slavery that has ever existed on the face of the earth. So, you know, it seems on the surface, like it would be a pretty uncomplicated movie but there are definitely some some interesting aspects of of that period and of this particular event that i think will be very interesting to see how they bring to the screen um and in a, in a similar vein yeah i am interested to see free state of jones i kind of suspect that it probably that like I'm, I'm expecting birth of a nation is probably going to be like a really really great movie you know like i'm hearing great things about it critically speaking I'm kind of expecting Free State of Jones will probably be a bit more of a, you know, something the history teacher can throw on if he doesn't feel like teaching a lesson uh, level of quality. But at the same time, the idea of making a movie about, like, dissent within the Confederacy uh, by, you know, let's let's be honest about what we're talking about here by, like, a white guy is, I think, interesting just to the extent that I'm going to be very interested to, and, and you know, I'll be, I'll be very upfront about this. I'm going to be very interested to see how this movie plays into the culture wars, because, you know, like as much as no, like very few people will, will full on like defend, uh, you know, the Confederacy and slavery and everything. I feel like there are a lot of people for whom the concept of like Southern honor and everything makes it hard to to fully banish that sort of lingering lost cause nostalgia so i think the idea of having a movie that is fundamentally about like a white southerner rebelling against the confederacy is just an it's an interesting look i'll i'll, I'll say that much uh and yeah you also brought up the purge election year which yeah i don't have like too much to say beyond what you said but you know yeah this is a, a series that around the second one took a, an unexpected but not unappreciated uh you know swerve into uh political and social commentary and this movie appears to you know be ready to lean even even harder into that so uh you know i don't know if it's going to make my year-end top 10 list but uh sure let's do this um as for movies that that i would I am looking forward to. Uh, I'm definitely going to be interested to see how the new Ghostbusters turns out. Um, I mean, I, do I really have to explain that? It's, it's Ghostbusters. It's one of the most iconic, you know, comedy movies of the, the 1980s. And, the, the, you know, the fact that they're doing it, uh, you know, gender swapped, which is, you know, already provoked no, no end of utterly meaningless controversy. Um you know, I, I I hope they pull it off, and we'll we'll see if they do. Uh, another one that has maybe not gotten so much attention is uh, Jason Bourne. Um, I I, I uh, you know I'll 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 make another uh, film critic mea culpa here. 
Uh, I until very recently, I honestly hadn't watched the, the like the Bourne trilogy in full, and it's a it's a very interesting trilogy of movies. I don't know if they're like the greatest things to come out in the the you know the the first decade of the twenty first century, but uh, you know it's a it's an interesting world. And the fact that they're actually getting Paul Greengrass back to sort of uh, return to that well, I'm going to be interested to see. Uh, and related, Snowden, uh, which is, yeah, apparently, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's been pushed back a couple of times, but I think it's actually coming out in, in September, and, unless I'm being lied to again, uh, which is just like, I mean, you know, it, Oliver Stone of like JFK and the entire rest of his filmography fame doing a biopic about like one of the most controversial and well-known, uh, you know, uh, whistleblowers, uh, short perhaps of Chelsea Manning of our, of our young century. Um, who knows if it's going to turn out to be good, but I will I will be unfathomably surprised if it isn't at least interesting. Um, and uh, also the you know I'll I'll say it uh, you know I call me uh, you know fanboy or whatever you want, but I am interested to see uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. You know they 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 uh, you know now now that Disney uh, owns the franchise, they've. You know they 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 got off to a, a pretty successful reboot uh, with the you know episode seven, which like basically everyone seems to have loved. Uh, so I'm going to be interested to see what their what their next move is. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to say it. There is a good chance this is going to be a god awful movie, uh, but I'm going to go see it, and I really want it to be good. Assassin's Creed, starring Michael Fassbender. It's it's a video game movie and the trailers look kind of meh and whatever, but it's got Michael Fassbender. I am an unapologetic Assassin's Creed fanboy when it comes to the video game series. And just, you know, there's a little part of me buried underneath all the cynicism that, that wants Michael Fassbender to somehow make this the first truly good video game movie. Which it probably won't, but you didn't. You had like the Mortal Kombat movie, Edward. You had like the. You had like the Doom movie, Edward. It's all right. The Doom movies. Uh, 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 the Doom movies are respectable alien knockoff. Um, right. kill me now, internet. Um, but. Yeah, just to kind of run through what you were saying there. Um, so, yeah, Jason Bourne, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to see what they do. I, I guess my thing about Jason Bourne movies is they're kind of just, like, they're really well-made spy thrillers. Uh, they kind of don't impact me in a huge way. I'm just like, yeah, good movie, well-made. Paul Greengrass's directorial style takes a bit of getting used to. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I'm interested to see what they do. I, I'm, I'm I was particularly intrigued maybe just because of my own interest in the trailer, there seems to be a number of scenes that are set at protests outside the Greek parliament. So, like, I'm wondering... Yes. I'm, mainly what I'm wondering is, is there going to be a Yanis Varoufakis cameo in this movie? Is, is the, uh, yeah, there's, 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 there's literally, like, a scene in the trailer where, like, uh, Matt Damon, 
like steals a Molotov cocktail from a protester and like uses it to fuck up some bad guys. So like yeah, so you know, it, it, there's a non-zero probability of of a Janis Varoufakis cameo. So so I, I will be there. <laughs> um, what else? Yes, yeah, Snowden. Yeah, man. Okay, so <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I mean, I couldn't pick a better person to do this movie than Oliver Stone. Uh, you know, whatever you may think about the man and his work, he, he definitely is within a particular tradition of, like, you know, some might call them conspiracy theorists, other might call them, you know, skeptics, whistleblowers, whatever, but he has this whole, like, the government is lying to you, man, and, like, you know, I mean, that runs through JFK, that runs through Platoon, that runs through, you know, even Natural Boy Killers to a degree. Um, and, you know, I'm very interested to see what he does with this movie. I, I hope, my one hope about this movie is that it does not turn out to be boring. Uh, because he can do that. Yes. Like, World Trade Center was just kind of boring. Uh, you know, there's another couple that he's made that have just been kind of boring. I'm hoping that, like, first I hope this movie is, like, good. Uh, or if it's not good, I hope it's at least nuts. Like a Natural Born Killers kind of thing. Um, if he pulls the Natural Born Killers on this thing, it will be fascinating, no doubt. Um, so that, that you know, I, I will go see that. And then, yeah, Rogue One. I, yeah, I, go I ahead. Just- I, I, I just want to want to want to mention for for audiences who are not seeing us, I am bowled over laughing at the idea of a, a natural born killer's take on Edward Snowden. Uh, final note on Snowden: uh, the the real anticipation is is the inevitable porn parody of Snowden, uh, Glenn Greenwald porn spy, uh, the, the uh, a Paul Cohen. Yes. Which, 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 which Glenn Greenwald may very well... He may! Glenn Greenwald, a porn spy, a Paul Coandra film. Uh, anyway, d- that's very inside. Anyway, um, so, f- finally, yeah, uh, Rogue One. Yeah, I- I'm interested in Rogue One. Uh, what-, what I find interesting about it, at least from the, the publicity materials, um, seems to be like they want to go in a bit more of a kind of military dogfight kind of movie set in the Star Wars universe. And I think I said when we talked about Force Awakens last time, I liked Force Awakens, but it felt like this is very much the Star Wars plot, um, you know, of the hero's yeah. journey. I, I'm interested to see the idea of, like, okay, we're in the Star Wars universe, but it's a different kind of story within that universe. Um, so, yeah, those are those are all some, some good picks, some good picks. Okay, so, do you have anything else to say before we close up shop here, Edward? Uh, you know, I, w- I will say that... Uh you know, you yourself said earlier it's a bit of a lean year, and, uh, you know, no, there hasn't been a Mad Max Fury Road, uh, but then when, you know, whenever is there a... Uh, once every 20 years. years. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, there are some good movies out there if you yeah, know no to d- look for. And uh, hopefully it just... Yeah, hopefully, yeah, because, I mean, you know, you have the summer blockbuster season, then we'll have the, uh, the, uh... You know, fall the the, the oh, fall Oscar, Oscar bait season, let's, 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 the fall let's Oscar bait season, and you know everything will be, everything will go as it goes. Okay, so with all that said, my name is Coda Vance, and for myself and for Edward, I'm wishing you a goodbye. And yeah, we're gonna be going on a hiatus until probably September, uh, so you have to keep yourself warm with the previous episodes. Uh, so uh, for myself, for all my co-hosts, uh, I wish you. Uh, oh, yeah, and of course, our email is always theferriscovert.gmail.com, for all the links to the movies uh, we talked about today, IMDb and all that, so you can find out uh, 
what you need to do there to watch these uh, features. And for all of us here at the Affairs Code, uh, good night, and I wish you a pleasant uh, several months.